0: Are you struggling with how to reach the heart of your teenager? Do you find that the older they get, the less they want to listen to your counsel and possibly the less influence you have in their lives? Oh, then we're so glad you're joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Katie Morgan, and welcome to Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Ginger is the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I Can't Believe You Just Said That. She speaks at women's events, parenting conferences, and homeschool conventions across the country. You can check out her parenting resources and find out when she's speaking in or near your area at GingerHubbard.com. Have you ever noticed that when you encounter news stories or even advertisements in our world, you have to give your kids a disclaimer like, well, kids, I know they're saying that all is hopeless, but here's what we believe. Wouldn't it be nice if you could point them to a news source that would actually encourage them to see how God is working in our world today? Well, it is nice because there is such a news source. It's called World Watch. This is an engaging, professional news show produced by Christian journalists, and it's designed specifically for kids. In just 10 minutes a day, you and your kids can stay up to date on the current headlines without the hopelessness and hysteria of most other news sources. My favorite part is that every episode ends with this reminder, whatever the news, the purpose of the Lord will stand. To find out more about World Watch, just go to worldwatch.news ginger to access a free episode. Again, that's worldwatch.news ginger. Well, hey there, Ginger. I know that you are just as excited as I am about having Ted Tripp back on our show today. I absolutely
1: am. Last time we had Ted on to talk about shepherding a child's heart, and anyone that has been listening to our podcast for any length of time knows that is my all-time favorite parenting book. You hear Katie and I mention it often uh, on the show. Ted offered so much wisdom and encouragement for parents with younger children when he was on last time, so we thought it would be beneficial to have him back on to talk about Shepherding the Hearts of Teenagers, which we all know can be a little difficult at times. (laughs) I love having Ted as a guest because he draws from over 40 years of experience as a pastor, counselor, and educational administrator. He and his wife Margie have been married for 54 years. They have three adult children and nine grandchildren. Ted is an international speaker and the best-selling author of Shepherding a Child's Heart, which has been so overwhelmingly popular that he wound up co-authoring a follow-up book with his wife Margie called Instructing Your Child's Heart. So many parenting books come and go and lose momentum over the years, but not ones by Ted Tripp. They are evergreen books that continue to sell like hotcakes, and it's because he writes about the timeless truths of God's Word as it pertains to shepherding the hearts of children and what Jesus-loving parent would not want to do that well. Ted, it's so great to have you back on the show.
2: Thank you, Ginger. It's always a joy to be with you, and uh, so I'm looking forward to this next uh, podcast.
1: Yeah, we are too. You know, generational differences can be challenging for parents with teenagers, which is why it's so important that the foundational blocks we're laying are more uh, solid than our personal ideals and opinions. In your best-selling book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, you encourage parents to teach their teenagers three foundational truths for life that are found in Proverbs chapter one verses seven through fourteen, which are fear of the Lord adherence to parental instruction, and disassociation from the wicked. So let's start with verse 7, which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Ted, before we have you address this first foundational principle for life, allow me to read a quote from you from your book, Uh, shepherding a child's heart regarding this truth like any area of theological truth the key to growth is not the cognitive identification of truth it is understanding the pertinence of the understanding that truth in daily life you and your children must understand the fear of the lord in a manner that reorganizes your lives wow i love that quote because what you're saying is that when we truly take hold of this principle it changes the way we live Ted, how can parents help teenagers understand what it means to fear the Lord and encourage them to live their lives accordingly?
2: Well, wow, that's such a big topic, Ginger. I, th- I think the, uh, obviously what you model as a parent is very important because you're teaching through your own example. So your, your sense of awe of God, your sense of reverence of God, your hope in God, your joy in God. Your sense of accountability, that I stand before God and I will give an account of every deed I've done in my body, every idle word that I've spoken, your, your sense of that uh, I stand before God and I live before the face of the living God is such an important thing, and that's, that's more caught than taught, uh, mm. or it's mm. caught before <laughs> it's taught or something. You know, It's not just a matter of, of instructing but it's what you're modeling so that even when you, uh, in the ordinary business of life, the fear of the Lord is so important. You know, the Proverbs, I think it's 10:19 says the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. The fear of the Lord, the first step in the path of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. If we want children that are wise, we want to give them a large view of God and have a sense of the, the not just the Immanence of God, which is very emphasized in modern evangelicalism, God is present; He's a friend; He's a companion. And those are wonderful truths, but we lose sight of the transcendence of God—that He's He's wholly other than we are—and that creator-creature distinction, of the fact that He is God. I'm not God, and I can't give Him a report card. I can't grade Him. I can't decide whether or not I like what He's doing. Uh, he's God, and I've got to stand in awe of Him. And so the way you talk about God. Is such an important thing with for our kids because we want them to have this sense of the sense of reverence and awe. It's not just slavish fear. Like, oh no, he's gonna zap me. You know, it's not that. It, it's it's awe, it's reverence, it's it, it's even a life of faith and a life of hope. Because I know that he is a sovereign God, he's holy, he's good, he's accomplishing his eternal purposes in my life. And and in the lives of my children, and to, to to be in awe of God is such a powerful thing. I remember, you know, when our kids were uh, teenagers, we had three that were within five years, so they were pretty close age-wise, and, uh, you know, when the kids were real little, we read Bible stories to them, you know, wonderful narratives in the Bible, we read those narratives, and the kids tracked along with the story element, and uh, as they got older, when they were in middle school, and they'd argue over everything. We we read the epistles. We took the epistles apart and put them back together at our table. But when they were teenagers, we read the prophets. And I remember one night so distinctly, Ginger. We had read some horrible scene of judgment from the Proverbs. I mean, it's one of these grisly scenes. I can't remember the passage. I wish I could. But but it was so overwhelming that we closed our Bibles, the five of us are sitting there at the table just stunned over what we've just read. And my mind was racing. I'm trying to think, what can I say at this moment to give some perspective for this incredible scene of judgment from God that we've just read? How do I talk to my teenagers about this? One of my sons, it's my youngest son who you know, he's the one that broke the, uh, the uh, silence. And he said, You know, Dad, instead of having smiley faces that say, Smile, God loves you, we ought to have some stickers that say, Trimble, God is a consuming fire. Hmm. I thought, you know, it it struck me that night that you don't understand the love of God unless you understand He's a consuming fire. Because where is God's love most powerfully demonstrated? It's on the cross. Why does Jesus end up on the cross? He's not just being an object lesson. He's, he's bearing the wrath of God that our sins deserve because God cannot look on our wickedness. He's a pure eyes to behold wickedness. And it's just, I think that, that that sense of God as a consuming fire is such an important thing for teenagers especially because, you know, they're spending more time away from home. They're, they're starting to feel a sense of growing independence, which is all healthy, part of their development into adulthood but if that is if that bravado is is tempered <laughs> by a sense of I'm accountable I'm accountable to this holy God whether or not my parents ever know it doesn't matter whether or not I get away with it it doesn't matter uh, you know the darkness and light are all the same for God Daniel says you know it uh, uh, Hebrews four reminds us you know everything's naked lay bare before the one with whom we have to do and that sense of Awe and reverence of God is so foundational for our teenagers. So I think that mm-hmm. we have to we have to instill that in our kids, and we instill it by talking about God, and thinking about God, and reading the scriptures about God, and even even drawing our kids out. You know, it's amazing how you can you can engage kids if you will talk about God. They can be engaged, uh, and and uh, uh, I think we just we, we've got to do that as parents is so important. I was riding along with one of my grandsons. We have a Sunday afternoon meal. All of our kids live nearby, so we've had all of our grandchildren raised within five miles of us. So we've had this wonderful Oh wow, that's wonderful. Nice. So uh, we Sunday afternoon once a month, second Sunday of each month, we have a family meal together, and we you know enjoy a meal. And Margie loves to prepare it and be the hostess for us, and we all uh, spend a few hours together. So one of my grandsons, riding home from church, he said, we want to ride home with Grandpa that Sunday because we were going to have our meal together. So we're riding along the car. He's five years old. And uh, he said to me, out of the clear blue, he said, Grandpa, did you know God's dangerous? I said, what do you mean, Ben? Said, my Papa told me God can do anything he wants and no one can stop him. God's, Papa says God is good, but he's dangerous. Well, I think that's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom for a five-year-old. But what struck mm-hmm. me yep. that day was the fact that uh, this little guy, he'd had a conversation with his dad some days earlier, in which they talked about this quality in God, and his little brain still turning it over in his mind. Mm-hmm. And he's still dazzled by it. And so he brought it up without any prompting from me. I didn't probe him. Ben, have you been doing any theological thinking this week? You know, I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was there because it's still exciting him. I think now that's a five-year-old illustration, and I know we're talking about teens, but I think you can do the same thing with teenagers. You, you've got to engage kids and get them thinking. I, I was uh, interacting with some teenagers recently about the quality of God's changelessness. Said, you know, why do you change? And they very quickly, you know, came up with reasons. We changed because, uh, you know, the unanticipated, the unexpected, the unknown, you know, and so forth. There are reasons why we must change our plans and our ideas. And then we're able to turn that conversation just to think about, imagine a God for whom nothing is ever unexpected. There's nothing unknown. There's nothing that comes up on his blind side. You know, just talking about this because this quality of changelessness of God well, it was very easy within a few minutes to engage a group of 10 or 12 teenagers who were very, very engaged in the conversation and thinking about this idea, this quality of God's changelessness. I think that's the kind of thing we need to be doing at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Not just speeching to them, but getting them thinking, asking those good questions, you know, like, uh, like, like you did such a good job of, Ginger. Asking those good questions, getting them thinking and prob- probing them and uh, stimulating the thought about God, because He's yeah. awesome. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and one thing you're saying there is not just in times of conflict.
2: No, See? no, 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 that's right. exactly right. It's got to be in non-confrontational times. Mm-hmm. Now, the t- confrontational times, you can remind them of conversations you had in those non-confrontational times. Hey, mm-hmm. wait a minute, yep. this is that quality about God we were talking about earlier. Remember that conversation last week? Mm-hmm. That's that's fair, but we'll never do our primary uh powerful teaching in those confrontational times because in those moments the kids heels are dug in they're defensive they know they're in trouble they're not going to volunteer anything that might get them in more trouble so they're being protective and you're getting one one word answers and they're kind of you know trying to keep it really close so I think yeah it's got to be in those dog confrontational times
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's good Well, the second foundational truth for life taught in Proverbs chapter one is adherence to parental instruction. Our kids watch us, but our teens watch us like hawks. And as parents who struggle with sin as much as our children, uh, this could deter us or maybe even shame us from addressing the sins we see in them because we know how quickly they could point a finger back at us. So I love what you wrote in your book. You said, you do not need to be perfect. You simply need to be people of integrity who are living life in the rich, robust truth of God's word. So sometimes that means we get it right and glorify God in the way we live. And sometimes that means... We have to humble ourselves in front of our children when we get it wrong. And Ginger and I have talked at length about the importance of modeling before our children what the conviction of the Holy Spirit looks like and how we are to rightly Mm -hmm. respond to that conviction in front of our kids. So how do we transition from requiring adherence to parental instruction from younger children to that of our older children? So in other words, how do our methods of training and instructing change as they move into their teen years?
2: with our teenagers, we want to help them to see, and I think what the, that proverb's talking about is the importance of of, understanding the scope of teaching that mom and dad have given you, which is different than just, okay, honey, go do this, do that. It's time to do this, time to do that. It's not that kind of instruction, but it's 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 helping them walk into a mature, robust understanding of the large picture of who God is and what God is like and what our callings are as human beings that we've been instructed them in. You know, it's interesting. There's a fuller version of that in chapter six. And uh, it says, uh, my son, keep your father's commands. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life. So I, I, I think if you think about that, those words, I mean, you hear echoes of, of Ephesians 6.1 there. You know, obey your parents. It'll go well with you. You won't enjoy a long life. That, uh, you know, these commandments that we've given you, the instruction we've received, you've received from us opens up the path of life for you. So we, we want them to, uh, to learn to live independently of us but not independently of that foundational truth that we've, we've labored to, to to build into them. So I think that uh, helping them to see the importance of not writing mom and dad off. You know, I think a lot of times uh, as parents we fear it. You know, we fear our kids are going to think we're just old fuddy duddies, and you know we don't understand, and they're more influenced by the culture than they are by, by us, and so. The temptation is for parents to disengage and to give up on being a nurturing influence in the life of their children rather than staying engaged and staying, uh, continuing to provide that instruction. I don't know if I've answered your question, Katie, or if you want to reframe it. Or if no,
1: no, I, uh, no I
0: think that's great. Yeah, we're just you know transitioning not so much in that daily Day to day instruction, do yeah, this, do right. that, as you said, but more the big picture, giving mm-hmm. them that big picture, yeah, yeah. yeah. and then great. helping
2: them to helping them to walk out into that, or even to think think it through. I remember one time, one of my kids, he he came asking me, he was actually asking me to make a decision for him, and I, he was 15 years old, and I thought, I can, I don't need to make this decision for you, so I, I I didn't. I said, you know, well, tell me what you think. You Know what are the reasons why you should go? What are the reasons why you shouldn't go? You know, think it through and uh, and whatever mm. you decide to do, I'm, I'll be supportive of. But I'd like to have you come back and tell me how you got there. You know, how did you decide what to do? Hmm. And, and but I, love uh, that. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, so you're giving them opportunities to practice while you're still there and you can still engage them and interact with them, and you're not uh, because you, you, we don't always have to give them direction. And the more maturity we see in them, then the more we can begin to pull back and let them you know, exercise their judgment.
0: Have you ever been at a total loss for how to explain to your kids some of the really hard things they've seen in our culture or in the news? Sometimes I resort to distraction, like, hey, who wants ice cream? <laughs> because I'm just not sure how to rightly respond. This is why I'm so excited about a new podcast that is stepping in to meet that need. The podcast is called Concurrently, and each episode is full of practical help so that we can teach our kids how to develop news literacy and biblical discernment. To find out more, visit concurrentlypodcast.com, and you can listen to new episodes of Concurrently every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The third foundational truth for life taught in Proverbs chapter one that we want to instill in our uh, teenagers is disassociation from the wicked. Verse 10 says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. So Ted, why do you think that teens, even teens who know better, whose parents have raised them in the ways of the Lord and encouraged them to choose their friends wisely and talk to them about all the scriptures that says why you need to choose your friends wisely. Why do they sometimes Choose to surround themselves with friends who live foolishly.
2: Well, it's interesting. I think in this proverb, in this passage, we get some some answers to that because I think that the the attraction of of uh, camaraderie with the wicked is is belonging. That's what's mm-hmm. being offered. It's mm-hmm. being cool, being hip, fitting in. So you know, come along with us. Let us lie and wait. For someone's blood, let us waylay some harmless soul. Let us prank somebody. <laughs> you know, uh, you let us swallow them alive like the grave, and hold like those go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us. We will share a common purse. My son did not go along with them. What's being offered is belonging. What's mm-hmm. being offered is is uh, you know this is we're gonna have fun and it's gonna be cool and you're gonna be part of it and that that's that that's the attraction of camaraderie with the wicked and your kids are going to face it. Yeah. And uh, because wicked people come into their life and endeavor to engage them in every kind of wickedness known to humanity, Uh, sexual perversion, gender confusion, uh, you know, uh, stealing disrespect for authority, uh, you know, everything you, you, you can imagine drugs, alcohol, and uh, a lot of the, people that come into their life and are trying to entice them will not be old people or strangers. they will be young people come into your house and call you Mr. and Mrs. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) You
2: won't always know...
1: Eddie Haskell's...
2: Dangerous... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, You won't always know who the most dangerous people are, uh, but your kids will know. So I think, uh, uh, you know, talking to them about that, helping them, even role-playing with them, how do you extricate yourself from a situation where someone's telling a d- dirty story, you know the punchline is going to ask me to laugh at something that I should not laugh at. How do I How do I extricate myself without, you know, uh, inviting derision because I'm being holier than thou or, you know, get away from me, you wicked person or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but how do I, you know, just as an ordinary kid, just engage and even role-playing with them and practicing that's so important. But I think this issue of, Belonging is such a huge thing because I think our kids need to belong and we need to make our homes places where our kids belong, where our kids are engaged, where it's a fun place to be, where there's interesting stuff going on, where, you know, we, uh, I just think it's such an important thing. I We had uh, Sunday, we had uh, uh, hamburgers and birthday cake with one of our grandsons who just turned 15. That son has five kids, and uh, th- th- there were oh my goodness, a bunch of teenagers there they were having such a great time, but the house is such a fun place to be. I mean they're just there's so much going on there all the time and they're so engaging, so interesting and conversations are so interesting and 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 the kids love to hang out. Mm-hmm. so I think we want we we want to do everything we can to make our homes places where our kids are comfortable, where our kids feel like we're committed to them, we love them, we want to spend time with them, we want to know their friends. Our friends are always welcome at our house. But The problem is a lot of times parents at that stage in life get so busy with their own stuff they don't have enough time to invest Mm -hmm. in their kids. You know, when this kid was four, they were pouring themselves into the kid, but now he's 14 and he doesn't get as much of the parent as he did when he was four. But he right. needs the parent just as much as he did when he was four. Doesn't need to be treated like a four-year-old, but he needs the parent. He needs the parent's engagement, involvement, and, you know, having fun together, doing things together. You
1: mm-hmm. know, I,
2: I just think it's uh, just such such important stuff.
1: It is. So what you're saying is making home a place where teenagers want to be, where they want to invite their friends and then engage and know what's going on and be a part of their lives.
2: Yeah, exactly. Look for opportunities to engage. You know, one of my brothers, uh, my brother, Mark, uh, my youngest brother, when he was uh, his son was a teenager, I noticed Mark's really getting bulky. I said, man, Mark, what are you doing? You spend a lot of time at the gym. He said, hey, Jacob is in lifting weights, so we lift every morning. We go to the gym at 6 o'clock every morning. I spot for him, he spots for me. Well, you see what he's done. He's created a context for spending time with his son. There's Mm -hmm. drive time to and from the gym. They have all that fun banter that men have when they're doing something athletic together. Come on, give me three more. Don't wimp out. You can do it, you know. And all that fun stuff, it's relationship stuff. Mm -hmm. And, And that's what gives the parents... They earn the right to speak in a sense. Not that, I mean, obviously, we know you have the right to speak. You're the parent. But in terms of the child's perception, they earn the right to speak by being engaged. And and, and I was interested in one of my grandsons who's not living at home right now. He showed up with four of his friends for this birthday party.
1: Mm.
2: And, you know, I mean, he brought these kids because he's he, he loves his home. And he's
1: mm-hmm.
2: wanted them to see his home. And so he showed yep. up with four friends. You know, they just showed up out mm. of the blue and... It was fine. I mean, they yep. were, you know, yep. happy to be engaged with him. So I think, yep. yeah. That's we,
1: another lesson.
2: Oh, my goodness. It's such important stuff. I think, you know, I, I always say to parents, you know, it doesn't matter. They're going to sit on your furniture. They're going to, you know, these kids, if you make your home open, they're going to kick the coke over in your new living room rug. What difference yep. does it make? You're not running a museum. One day your no. kids <laughs> are back and dump yep. up to your house and put all your treasures in it. And they'll save a few mementos. Use it up. You know, use it up. It doesn't yep. matter.
1: Yep. That's another principle and lesson that I learned from shepherding a child's heart as far as once they get to those teen years is, is make that home a place they want to be, a place they want to bring their friends, a, a place their friends want to be.
2: Yeah. And, you yeah. know, we have
1: certainly found that principle uh, to be um, a good one to, to, yeah, to hold. It, Yeah. If you
2: engage kids, you'll have no shortage of kids. I mean, kids, because there's so many kids (laughs) that are displaced and no adult is constructively interacting with them at all. And so they want that. They need that because that's what human beings need.
1: Yep. And we found the principle, if you feed them, they will come to be true. <laughs> it also has uh, holds true for adult kids who live close by. I was just telling Katie recently about how Ronnie and I are now in our 50s and our home is still a revolving door of adult kids living with us sure. during our transitions in sure. their lives. And, yeah, yeah. you know, we get one out and then two more move back in. And yeah, Katie's yeah, advice yeah. was, if you stop feeding these people. <laughs>
2: it's, it's the second or third time they leave that they finally leave, but they.
1: Exactly, exactly.
2: They they would leave for a while, then, uh, can I come back for a while? Yeah, sure. It's your home. We're always happy to have you
1: here. (laughs) That's right. And don't get me wrong. I mean, there's certainly times when Ronnie and I would enjoy a little, you know, more time alone, but we certainly cherish the close relationships (laughs) that we have with our adult kids. And we wouldn't trade that for anything. So don't get me wrong when when I say that. I understand, yeah. All right. So we have just a little bit more time left. So, Ted, while we have you, we would love for you to answer a question from one of our listeners. Uh, Katie, you want
0: to read that question from Jessica in Missouri? So she says, I have recently had a revelation that my 13 year old has pride issues. All these years I thought she was being stubborn until God revealed to me the real heart issue is pride. She will. Not admit fault and does not easily apologize. I feel somewhat panicked that I have failed because I didn't recognize this sooner. What can I do to help her realize this?
2: Wow, that's a great question because you don't want to beat up on this kid and say your problem is pride. So you want to lead her on a path of discovery. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, again, going to the scriptures, finding scriptures that deal with the issue of pride, Mm -hmm. talking, them out in non-confrontational times. She's not being scolded. Hey, let's do a little Bible study, you know. And you're you're, you're doing a study. You're helping her to gain insights into those things, and uh, you know, looking for those opportunities in the non-confrontational times that you can appeal to. Then when you see the pride struggles, but so I, I guess that's what I would encourage a parent doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Now is the part of our show where we give a quick tip for parents, and today's quick tip is courtesy of Ted. So, Ted, what's your quick tip for us?
2: Okay, my quick tip is not directly parenting-related, but uh, in in your advanced stuff, you said it didn't have to be. So (laughs) I want to share a ministry lesson that I learned that I think is very valuable. In some ways, it may have parenting application but one of the things I learned in doing ministry is you speak criticism and you write praise. Mm. Never write criticism. So if you feel I need to tell somebody something, they need to hear this, and it's for their good, and you might, you know, you 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 may do it with the purest motives possible, but when you write it, uh, it it it's harder for the person to receive. But if you speak it, then if you have sit down and you have a conversation, that allows for nuance, that allows for them to appreciate your tone because you can't communicate tone as well in writing. It allows uh, for you to immediately read their responses and nuance what you're saying to make it more uh, insightful for them. So I, I think that speaking criticism... Is the why does this thing to do? Then also, you haven't left them with something that they can take to someone else. Can you believe that he wrote this about me? I can't believe mm-hmm. that he was say yep. That's All I've done. I read it. What do you think? What do you make of that? You know, mm-hmm. and, and, but if you write praise, uh, I always felt like I want to write out praise. I don't want to just speak praise. I want to write it out. I want to write a note to this person saying, "I appreciate you. I appreciate your ministry to me. I appreciate the things that you." do the things you've taught me, the way I've learned from you and so forth, I write out my praise. You know what that person's going to do? They're going to save that letter. Mm -hmm. They're going to reread it again and again. They'll be reading it five years from now. Mm -hmm. They'll share it with other people. And so since I wanted to commend what was commendable and praiseworthy, I get more bang for the buck by writing it than I do if I spoke it. And I've had so many times when I wrote criticism that then came back on me, and uh, it wasn't even that my spirit was wrong or my words were wrong, but it, they got misconstrued afterwards. And it would, that wouldn't have happened if I had been speaking. Mm. Because for one thing, they wouldn't have had a permanent record of the conversation. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, but also I could have nuanced the conversation. Right. That can't nuance writing. So uh, speak yeah. criticism, write praise. That's my tip.
0: That's mm, fantastic. That is good. That's gold. Yes, I love that. That might be one of my favorite quick tips we received. I it's think just, so, too. It's, it's applicable to in every thing. area of life. I mean, it, really it really is. is. It really, yeah. And with your
2: kids, my goodness, write praise of your kids.
0: Mm-hmm. I just
2: want to write your note, you a note know, for no particular reason, not just uh, you know, for your birthday, but to write a note just saying, I've noticed something with you. I've noticed these qualities in you, and I am so appreciative of them, and they encourage me. And uh, Think of substantive ways that they encourage you. Mm, and your kids will keep that letter Mm -hmm. you know they're not going to throw that away
0: that is so great um if you have a quick tip for our show listeners we would love to hear from you as well it can be any random tip about cooking housekeeping something you do with your kids ideas for fun date nights with your spouse anything at all we would love to share your ideas on the podcast just go to genderhubbard.com quick tips to submit those
1: Mm, Ted, once again, this has been such an encouraging message. We just can't thank you enough for taking this time to come on and encourage Katie and me and our listeners, and I know that they will be deeply, deeply encouraged, just as well, we I'm happy been. to
2: be with you. Mm. Thank you. I'm honored to to have this time. Mm.
1: Ted, how can our listeners find out more about you, your books, and your ministry?
2: Yeah, the for books, uh, shepherdpress.com, and for our ministry, is shepherdingtheheart.org. That's great. and uh, there's in, info on both of those websites
0: excellent and we'll we'll have Heather put links uh, in our show notes to those websites great. Thank you Ted can Thank you please leave our listeners with a final word of encouragement
2: I want to leave you with two words one the one word is uh, is a just a cautionary note it's in John 15 where in the uh, vine vine uh, dresser passage and Jesus says without me you can do nothing mm. and uh, we need to always be reminded of that because we can't do the callings that God has given us uh, without Christ. We need his grace and his strength and his power and his enablement. And without him, we can do nothing. Uh, but the I think of the corollary of that, of course, the words in Philippians chapter 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So on the one hand, uh, without him, I'm helpless with him. I can do all things. So I think as a parent, we've got to remind ourselves of both of those things, that I need God every day to be the parent God's called me to be. But I've hoped to be the parent God's called me to be because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength.
0: Thank you so much, Ted and Ginger, and thank you, listeners, for joining us today. If you enjoyed our show and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast wherever it is you're listening today, and while you're there, can you leave us a rating or a review? This truly does help us get the word out about our podcast so that other parents can be encouraged to reach the hearts of their children. Do you have a parenting question? Well, we invite you to submit it at gingerhubber.com slash askginger, and we'll do our best to answer it in a future episode. And while you're on the website, you can find our show notes, which will include links to anything we mentioned in today's episode. While you're on gingerhubbard.com, you can find Ginger's wonderful resources that will help you get to the heart of outward behavior and address it from a biblical perspective. Not sure which resource to get? Well, today we're offering a bundle deal of all of Ginger's resources at a $25 discount so this includes her parenting books, study guides, the wise words for mom's chart, as well as the CD and a digital download of her audio series called reaching the heart of your child listeners. This is a $95 value for only $70. And if you use the code parenting at genderhubbard.com, you can get an additional 10% off this already great deal. If you'd like daily encouragement and parenting advice from Ginger, be sure to follow her on Instagram at ginger.hubbard. And you can connect with me on Instagram at Katie in a Corner. That's K-A-T-Y in a Corner. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to reach the hearts of your children for the glory of God.